Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book step study. My name is Anita J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 11th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 30, the third paragraph. Today's readers are Rita P. on the 12 Steps, Naomi B., 12 Traditions, and reading the text for us are Julie R., Deb W., and Rachel N. M. The reference number for Wednesday, February 10th, 2016 is 8452. 8452. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rita P. to read OA's 12 steps. Good morning. This is Rita P., compulsive overeater in Arkansas. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of cancer. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take a personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you very much, Rita P. And now I will ask Naomi B. to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Anita. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my fellow visionaries. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself and our group conscience. Our leaders of our trusted service, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting our other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeaters who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous shall remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issue, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based upon attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pair. Thank you very much, Naomi B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press, this is very important, press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And now... Today we're going to resume our study of the big book 
And we are on page 30. We're starting with the third paragraph. And I will now ask Julie R. to read and share. Thank you. Hi, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Again, I'm Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This paragraph describes me. You know, it talks about the real alcoholic, which we went over earlier. I am that one that I can never, ever have any of my alcoholic foods that I identified clearly because each and every time that I'm going to ingest them, I am going to become that ravenous animal. And there's only, you know, three ways that I can stop. One, I run out. Two, I'm interrupted. Or three, I pass out. So, you know, I can never, ever get better. The only way that I cannot ingest those foods is by having that spiritual experience. And, you know, this, there's so many things in here. It says we get worse, never better. Even I've had three and a half years of black and white abstinence, weighed and measured. And the day that I took that first bite, I binged and purged in a Chinese restaurant. Didn't matter that for three and a half years, I didn't do that. It's any time I ingest it, I do not have control. It's something that overpowers me. You know, we talk about that the cravings that went, once they start, when I pick up, it's in my blood. The cravings are there. I cannot stop. Then it says that we will usually brief, but um, that we might have some times where we think we can regain control, and that's where for the sheer willpower that I could muster one, two, three, four days, even maybe a month of white-knuckling abstinence. But it's short. It's, it's never going to go to that peaceful serenity of being recovered because I haven't experienced that psychic change. So I will never, ever, ever be able to pick up any of my alcoholic foods. But the cool thing is, is I don't want to pick them up. I am totally neutral with my food. So I don't, you know, for today, I don't have to pick up those foods as long as I do what I'm supposed to be doing. Because if I do, I'm going to become that rapacious creditor. And that is not a very good thing for Julie or any of the people that are around her. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Julie. Who else would like to share on this? Amy G. Amy G. Kim G. Um, who was the R? Melissa C. Reva P. Elaine B. Just a minute, please. Elaine B. And between Alyssa and, I mean, Melissa and Elaine B. was... Austin R. I have you right above Melissa. But who was after Melissa? Reva P. Reva P., of course, Reva P. And then way up in the beginning here, I think I'm going to stop with this many. 
Amy G and Larry, and there was somebody R before Kim G. Who was that? Was it Linda R? All right, maybe I'm dreaming. I'm going to go with um, we'll catch whoever else it is, and we'll catch you. Amy G, okay. Larry, Kim G, Austine, Melissa, um, Reva P, and Elaine B. Please go ahead, Amy. Great. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Well, we know when they put things in italics, they're saying, hey, heads up. It says here we know that no real alcoholic ever ever recovers control. Ever. That means not as if, never. And I think what they're trying to bring home and what they're being reinforced, if we go back to the prior paragraph, the delusion that we can be like other people has to be smashed. You know, if I smash something, I'm using considerable force to smash it to smithereens to never be repaired. And what is being smashed home here with force is that no real compulsive overeater like me is ever going to ever regain control. And if I sneak forward on the page 31, it's even going to go so far as to say, in case you're even questioning this, go ahead and try some controlled drink drinking. Go out there and try to stop abruptly. It talks about that in that last paragraph on page 31. And for me, it's go out there and try. If I have any questions, go out there to a buffet and try stopping abruptly. Pick up my favorite binge food and see if I can stop. It may be well a case of the jitters to finally know my condition. Because if I don't have it smashed home that I am a true and real compulsive overeater that will never regain control, then I'm going to try to figure out a way to do this on my own because my mental obsession is going to try to convince me that I don't have a disease. And that force, that force of nature, my mental obsession is going to try to say, let me try it this way. Let me try another form of control. I mean, we just finished reading Bill's story, this idea, this delusion of control. His greatest comeback after the crash was to go to Canada and put himself back in the high life where he thought he was like Napoleon. But that was only the delusion because the worst crash came after that where he was to never take another sober drink again for five years until he hit bottom. And it was the same for me. Every diet that I thought I had regained control, the delusion of control, only led to a setup of a worse failure and more weight gain and psychotic, crazy binging, and for me, purging as a bulimic. This idea of me being that I could have control or that I could eat like a normal person has to be smashed, or there's no way I'm going to work this program and do what it is that is necessary for the ego reduction and to put my will aside and surrender to what is the action steps that are necessary for this program to work in my life. That is why we are hearing about this again and again and again. I have to resign from the debating society and say, this is who I am. I surrender, and this is what I need to do. It's not only a decision, but it's smashed home that I have to take action. If I am who I say who I am, then I must take these action steps to recover. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Amy. And Larry, please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, you know, for me, this, this paragraph dispels so many of the things that we hear in the rooms of OA. I mean, 
again, as Amy read, you know, I love the part, you know, we, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control, you know, and yet, you know, we hear things, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat, you know, that's control. And, you know, meeting makers make it 90 meetings in 90 days and, you know, don't eat and go to meetings and, I choose not to eat today. I mean, all these things that on the face of it are, are, are you know, we learn and are well-intentioned, you know, given to us by well-intentioned people, but they don't confront the importance of, of, of understanding who we are. And, um, you know, the thing about this is, is that um, the only thing that would give me, that would place my cancer, if you will, this disease in remission, would be to have some sort of spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, where as the result of these steps, I was brought in alignment with my higher power. And then then my higher power gave me a defense against the first bite. Prior to that, I would never, ever, ever regain control. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, maybe some of you can, can, this resonates with you, you know, you get your first 30 days or 60 days or 90 days as if there's some magic in that, as if you were sprinkled with pixie dust. I've got this thing, you know, I finally got this. And I can remember thinking that, you know, I, I got this, I, I could live like this the rest of my life. What a miracle. And I would feel that pink cloud sort of feeling rush, that, that euphoric feeling only to be supplanted by a binge that would come up for no apparent reason. And then the progression of this disease would unleash its, 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 its ugliness on me and I'd be right back there and distraught. How did I get here again? You know, the only reason that I'm abstinent today and have been for, for many, many 24 hours is because having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps. That's the only reason. I never got control. I never had control. We can delude ourselves. The human brain can delude ourselves into thinking that we have this, but we don't. We need a a spiritual awakening. We need a spiritual experience. And that's the only reason that I'm abstinent today. And that's the reason I keep coming back to remain in fit spiritual condition. Thank God for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Larry Kay. And Kim G, it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Progressive illness over any considerable time, we get worse, never better. You know, there's a popular um, series or, or talking about in my area called uh, relapse and recovery. Relapse and recovery. And that's what I would say. Well, I relapsed again, but I'm back on track. You know, and what this book is telling me is that we have a progressive illness. And if recovery is the 12 steps, and all I'm doing is going to meetings and working a diet, that's not relapse and recovery. That's the progression of my illness. And my experience is exactly what this this paragraph is saying, is that, you know, regaining control for intervals very brief. And the longer I was in OA and the more my disease progressed and I wasn't doing the steps, the more the worse those quote unquote relapses were, but it really it was just being on the wagon and off the wagon. You know, when I worked a tool only program, what happened was that those tools would work for periods of time, and then when I would miss a meeting, of course I would go back to the food saying I relapsed, but really it's just that the disease is progressing. 
you know, when I would miss, when I would make a phone call and someone wouldn't answer and I would pick up because they weren't there to help me, and I would go back to a meeting and say, but yes, I'm back on track. That is the progression of the illness. That is not working the program of recovery. You know, when I would, a good year in away for me, in all honesty, was when I was abstinent more than I wasn't abstinent. And when I would hear people talk about having months or years back-to-back absence, I would roll my eyes thinking, they're lying. There's no way you can do that. OA is about doing the best that you can, doing these tools, and coming back after, and being honest, you know, because if I don't share it, I'm going to wear it. All those sayings. So a better description for me is if I am trying to get well on just the fellowship, get well on just the tools, not working the program of recovery. I love what it says on page 101. It says, in our belief, any scheme, which is what I was working, I was working schemes in Overeaters Anonymous, of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. And that is my experience outside of Overeaters Anonymous, and it's my experience inside of Overeaters Anonymous not working the steps. So for today, I want to experience recovery, which is the 12 steps. In the fellowship, I experienced relief. In the program of recovery, when I worked these steps, I experienced freedom. And I've experienced freedom back-to-back for over five years now. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Kim G., for your share. And now it will be Austin R., followed by Melissa C. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, uh, Anita. I hope you can hear me. Yes, perfectly. Thank you. And, and Anita, thank you for your service. Julie, thank you for today's reading. Uh, Larry, I uh, hope to get on the call yesterday when you were encouraging everyone to participate, and it wasn't meant to be, but uh, what a beautiful reading today. You know, I feel so fortunate to be um, in the fellowship, in the OA fellowship, and I've been coming to these rooms for six years now, and uh, what what strikes me, um, the reading about it, this being a pro- progressive illness, you know, I'm so fortunate I can say I'm so fortunate today to be a compulsive eater. Isn't that remarkable? So fortunate because the program has given me so much, so much to have a higher power in my life who I do choose to call God. But even before program, I had a um, a learned friend. I have a learned friend who, who um, you know, me at 300 pounds was was saying that I have a chronic relapsing condition a chronic relapsing condition and um, certainly the progression of, uh, you know, dieting and getting down to a healthy body weight and then eating my way back up to where I was and more um, certainly proves that out. But what I'm struck with, um, particularly on this day that's a bit of an anniversary for me, uh, five years of um, abstaining, um, that I'm just reminded of the newcomer and the newcomer that is daunted by, um, you know, being in the in the rooms of OA, by the language that's used here, by the prospect that I do have a problem. Perhaps I do have a problem. I know, Austin, I do have a problem. And there's a way out. You know, it's a we fellowship. We. And uh, I've learned that I wasn't intended 
to solve this problem. You know, there were so many problems in my life that I have prided myself on solving in the workplace, among family members and relationships and all. But in terms of my relationship with food, I've lost that control. I, I do not have a healthy relationship with food. And I've come to accept and learn that it's a disease. Uh, apparently, there's scientific evidence that your brain function changes with this with this condition. And so, again, I'm just thinking of the newcomers today that this um, is a lot to absorb. It's a lot to absorb and to accept that, um, you know, that I, I needed help. Um, and I was glad to have the desperation that brought me to the rooms of OA. And I'm so grateful to the fellowship and our literature and, and all that OA offers. And again, to say that I am a grateful compulsive overeater. So thank you for letting me share. And thank you all for your beautiful service. Thank you. Thank you very much, Austine. And Melissa C., followed by Reva P. Good morning, Melissa. Hi. Good morning, Anita. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, over any considerable period of time, I get worse and never better. And this um, just didn't make sense for a long time because surely if I'm armed with some more education about the nature of my disease, um, then that should give me some, um, like, it should give me some protection. You know, that's sort of how I felt. Like, um, and I would pick up from time to time and say things like, well, I'm not having sugar, so it's not that bad. You know, and because, you know, by the grace of my higher power, um, really, I was able to put down certain binge foods, um, you know, seven years ago, almost seven years. Um, and, you know, I don't know why, but I was never, um, I was never uh, drawn to pick some of those up again. But that doesn't mean that my disease has not continued to progress because my last binge, you know, it started um, on a vacation thinking that I was abstinent on, the, you know, almost the whole vacation and then I picked something up and the rest of the vacation was a misery and I came home and I couldn't get myself back on track. It went, you know, it was from August until February that... Um, I was battling this, and and I could feel the disease progressing so that at the end, for me, I was eating, you know, shredded wheat cereal um, like, like a crack addict, you know, because I wasn't buying the other stuff, but this disease had progressed, um, and it didn't matter. I would have eaten anything at that point. Um, it was, I was just like on autopilot, and, um, you know, and so... This makes me think, like, when I, um, when I work my program with the same uh, diligence, with the same commitment, with the same passion that I do when I'm trying to get after it, you know, in those early, when you say, that's it, I'm going to follow the food plan, and I'm doing it, and I'm taking out the scale, for me, the progressive nature of this illness means that I have to live that same way today, even being... 130 pounds less than I was when I was at that point, um, and um, and even having you know two years of complete easy beautiful abstinence, I still have to do the same things. But my disease is progressing, and I know that. And uh, thank you. With that, I'll pass. 
Thank you very much, Melissa C. And Reva P., it's your turn, and then it will be Elaine B. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's Reva P., uh, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I'd like to share on the word control, which somebody reminded me yesterday has uh, been written at least three times in this one paragraph. Um, And lately I am uh, entering a new phase, another phase of deepening my, uh, I guess, relationship with my higher power, which is so not fun right now, um, but a new phase in my uh, recovery. Um, So for me, and I feel this paragraph is talking more about the food, but um, yes, the food I learned not from my head, not from a course, not from doctors telling me, I learned through experience by trying and trying to have a little bit of sugar, a little bit... um, of ice cream just a little bit and having cartons and cartons and boxes and boxes. Um, so I learned and was pretty convinced that I had no control over certain foods and that I had a strange physical allergy um, that created a phenomenon of craving where I wanted more and more and millions of cartons would never have been enough. But I also am realizing that I have... Um, the thinking of the real alcoholic, which is, again, control. And for me, it starts very insidious as an if only. And if only is part of the illusion that becomes the delusion, that becomes the insane thought that my serenity and my inner peace, when the food is down, is dependent on externals. It's dependent on if only there was enough money. If only people would do as I wanted. If only I could get the schedule. You know, I've been blessed with lots of work. And my insane thought is if I just get the schedule right, this will be manageable. Um, And what I've been missing and realizing through doing the steps is I'm still putting my reliance on external human aid or something through human aid, and it doesn't work. Um, So it's uncomfortable to be in this place. It's not fun, but I only have two choices. Do I move on and continue with the steps, or do I go backwards when my disease has been doing push-ups on the side, getting stronger and stronger, progressing as time goes on? So I choose to go forward. And, um, yeah, it's about doing the steps, pressing on, even when it's not fun, even when it's not comfortable. And I remember hearing a speaker talking about, you know, it is scary, but it's like hell going backwards. But for me, she was talking about this analogy of jumping off the cliff of faith and trusting and abandoning, truly abandoning myself to my higher power. And she said, you know, when I jump off the cliff, either my higher power has a safety net right there, or he gives me wings or she gives me wings to then you know, jump over the cliff to the safety of land. And I have to remember that because for me, um, to sum it up, um, step one is I'm screwed and step Time. two is maybe not. With that, I pass. Thank you very much, Reva P. And Elaine B., it's your turn. Thank you, Anita J. Great to hear you this morning. This is Elaine B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, it just reflects back to the doctor's opinion, which is something that in all my years in the rooms, I had not spent a lot of time studying. 
It says on page XXVIII, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks they see others taking with impunity. And, you know, this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And um, I've, I've been so appreciating the shares about, you know, I love this chapter. I love that it says, you know, the illusion that one day, one day we can somehow control and enjoy our drinking. If you, um, will pursue us to the gates of insanity and death unless we find another way to look at it, unless we find a reprieve. But the reprieve that we hold in this hand in our hand that we study every day um, only comes if we take a you know take step one a hundred percent. That um, you know the delusion we may be like other people or presently maybe have to be smashed. You know, in the rooms, abstinent, clean, six years, able to add some food to my food planks that have been maintaining a healthy weight. Um, you know, I didn't know about the doctor's opinion. I didn't know that the things I was picking up were going to ease me out of the room. I didn't know they were going to lead me to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Nine years sitting in the rooms, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm in the bath making my plans for how I'm going to get that taste. You know, all of a sudden food has taken over the life that showed up in between meals. All of a sudden food has me. I was in a grip again. I was in the grip of a progressive illness. I had heard many times in the rooms that the disease is out there doing push-ups while we're in here having a meeting. Um, you know, in page 101, it talks about it. Well, 100 and 101. Assuming we're spiritual fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to be able to do. Um, you know, we thought we had to avoid all these different circumstances, and it just made me chuckle. It says, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with the spiritual status. And so, you know, that that was my issue, but I didn't know that. I, it wasn't in the book. I didn't see it. And it just made me chuckle as I'm as I'm listening to the meeting, I'm packing, weighing and measuring foods for an 11-day trip out of the country. And the food is not what I what I have to think about today. Today I have to think about working the steps every single day to the best of my ability. That has to be my focus. And if I don't take step one, I'm not willing to do that today or to weigh and measure my food and bring it. Okay. With that, I pass. Thank you very much, Elaine B. And now I will ask Deb W. to read the start, uh, read the very last paragraph on page 30. Good morning. Uh, this is Deb W., a recovered compulsive eater in Oklahoma. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So here again in this, in this paragraph, um, they are trying to convince us that 
this is it. This is our dilemma. The, the, the words that, you know, really stood out for me is we've lost our legs. You know, maybe we had the ability at one time, but we will never grow that ability back. That, um, you know, it's kind of like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. We are the square pegs. I am a square peg. I will not fit into the normal uh, world uh, as they, you know, how they deal with the dilemma of eating and gaining weight. Because first of all, their thing is about the weight gain. My thing has passed the weight gain. My thing has gone into um, a dangerous situation for me an uncontrollable situation for me where my body has built up an uh, allergy to certain foods. And no matter how many years go by, if I ingest that food, I'm going to be triggered. You know, I remember coming in in 89 to the program. It is not better today. It's worse today, that allergy. I took time out. Took about three years out to see if I could do it. You know, I was mad at the program. I was mad at God. And I couldn't do it. I spent time and time over and over again trying to fit into that round hole. You know, I suffer from a lack of control. I can't stop eating. You know, at one time, having extra food was kind of, was a comfort. At one time, having a bag of this or that at my desk was comfort, you know. But today I have gone past that and I will never be able to go back again. And 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 that is what um that is what I got from the paragraph. The only answer for me is this program. I mean for others there may be other answers. I'm not saying this is the only answer out there in the world. But the only answer for me is a spiritual solution. That's the deal, a spiritual solution. You know, I haven't found, and believe you me, I looked for any way to be normal, but I'm not normal where this is concerned. This is, I think, one of the most difficult things for us to get is where if you're a real compulsive eater like me, I will never be normal again. So thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Deb W. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? James. Emily S. Mary B. Emily S. and Mary B. And who else? Bobby. Leah Bobby. S. Leah S. All right, let me thank just tell Wendy. James and Wendy, I'll see. Um, we we have to stop at five to eight. So let us. Um, everyone's been keeping to their time. That's been excellent. So uh, let's start off with James, followed by Emily. Go ahead. Good morning. This is James C. from Ohio. Um, we were men. We were like men who lost their legs and never grew new ones. Um, you know, I thought about this this paragraph and. Um, it, it really hits home in that, <laughs> even though I never grew new ones, um, I'm, um, I, I found artificial legs. Um, found artificial legs in, in fasting, um, 
using the religious systems that were out there basically to try help me overcome this compulsiveness, never really facing the real problem or where the source of the real issue really lied, blaming everything and everybody else in my life, in my circumstances, and not really seeing it for what it really was. So I, you know, I had, I did pretty good with artificial eggs. Uh, fasted seven days one time and couldn't wait to get to the pizza to the, you know, at the end of the fast, watch the very hour when 12 o'clock hit. Wham, you know, sure enough, I ate a whole pizza and um, and that that there it goes again. Um, you know, I, you know, running on a weekend. Um, you know, in my younger days, the compulsiveness was there, and I'd go on the weekends and do a 20-mile run. <laughs> get done with the 20-mile run and couldn't wait to go hog down a, um, a half a gallon of ice cream, um, vanilla at that. And, you know, even the educational, doctor, documentary educational um, things that are out there, um, uh, fat, sick, and nearly dead, you name it. Um, you know, I know there's the other programs, but no, nevertheless, there's still educational, documentary, educational things, doctor, doctor's uh, writings. None of those, you know, all those, although I, those were entertaining, I overlayered that um, with the complexity of trying to hide myself, but I hid behind those things, the reality of it. it. Just hid behind those things, never got to the real core of it. Thank God for this program that allows you to see the problem for where it is, its source, and its, and its, and its captivity, and its painfulness. Um, this program is incredible in that it allows no excuses, and it takes no, um, it takes no prisoners in the, in the real sense. We are all voluntarily submitting to this program and allowing God to have his complete and honorable way. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, James. And Emily, I think it was Emily, followed by Mary B. or um, Marcy B. Um, Emily, please go ahead. What is it, Emily? Carol G. Okay, I I may have botched that name. I'm sorry. Um, no one's responding. How about Mary B. Or Marcy? Yes, this is Mary B. Mary Good morning. B. Right. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for your service, and thanks everyone who shared this morning. We are. Oh, this is Mary B. I am a recovered food addict, compulsive eater right now in Central California. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. That's a sentence that several people have mentioned to me that they don't like. I guess it's the vision of it that they don't like. But when my mother had her first leg amputation when she was in her 80s, she didn't have uh, diabetes. She had uh, PAD, peripheral artery disease. And I looked at her one day and I thought about what she might have done in the past because I know the doctors were warning her. She had lost a toe, she lost a foot, and eventually lost her leg. And the doctors had been telling her, walk, walk. Hannah, walk. You have to walk. But she was a compulsive gambler, and she spent many hours in the um, poker clubs just sitting, drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, and playing cards until it was too late. 
she was very brave when she did lose her leg. I was very proud of her. But I, I often wondered what she would have done if she could have gone back to avoid what happened. And it reminds me of my sharing my experience, strength, and hope in this program. And what I'm doing when I do that, I'm reaching out, hopefully, to those people out there who, when they hear that when I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1962, I weighed about 155 pounds, and I didn't buy everything I heard. I took what I liked and left the rest, and eventually, in the mid-1980s, reached 210 pounds. And by sharing my experience, I'm hoping that somebody out there, even one person, and there are often somebody's unmute. Yes, yes, and your time is up just about up, Mary. Okay, I'll wind it up that somebody will hear and not have to go to the bottom that I reached, that they can stop now when they identify. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you very much, Mary B. And um, as a reminder to stay muted, folks, until it's your turn. Uh, Bob, that, is there Bob? Am I hearing things today? Bob there a Bob B., yes. Please go ahead, Bob, and then Leah S. Okay, Bob B., compulsive reader from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, What this paragraph reminds me of uh, is that, uh, left to my own devices, that uh, I'm going to make the decision to to pick up again. And for me, this program has taught me it's about life, about choices. And the choice that I have is going to take me one of two directions. But before I make the choice, my choice never was the right choice. I have to remember to ask God for guidance before I make my choice. And when I ask my higher power to help me with my choice, the chances are that my choice is going to take me toward my higher power and toward recovery. But when I forget to ask my higher power for that guidance, my choice is going to take me towards my disease and towards disaster. So the key for me is not to think about it in my own mind, but to remember to ask God in terms of whether I'm going to pick up that food or not, or whether I'm going to be uh, sharing my experience, strength, and hope, or I'm going to end up back in my disease. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Bobby. And Leah S., Please go um, ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think I'll pass for now. Thank you. Oh, all right. Uh, Jim, was there a Jim that came next? Jim. How about Wendy? Um, it's Lindy Aston, upstate New York. Can you hear me okay? Oh, all right. You, so you were the Wendy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My ears are falling funny. funny no, funny. that's okay. So, Go um, ahead. I, I apologize for being on my Bluetooth, but 
I have to drive to work and start work on time. Um, I just appreciate what's been said, and I appreciate the reminders about not having control um, around food, definitely, and around everything in my life that I keep making mistakes and thinking that I can figure it out. And I'm really at a point where with a bunch of issues, I cannot figure it out. And I just need a lot of reminders to keep turning my higher power over and over. And um, as somebody said, which is a great reminder to me, to let my, you know, to, I think, what is it in one of the stories that um, have, program my higher power take care of my inside and then my higher powers that are able to take care of the outside. Something like that. If I still fall into the trap of thinking if I take care of the outside I'll feel okay on the inside versus dealing with the inside through my higher power. And sometimes it's really hard for me to know what that means or how to do it. Um, I guess that the whole thing about not having control, not being able to regain control, it's, you know, like losing legs and not being able to regrow them. Um, I can't, the, the idea that I can successfully return to trying to control things, but if it ever was successful, um, it's it's not. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I I guess I also just need to um, play my space as stable as other compulsive overeaters. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Lindy. And Carol G., Thank you, Anita J. Good morning. It's Carol, Compulsive Overeater. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I love this paragraph too. I have some experience of this. Now, I was thinking about how we've all seen a drunk try to walk. Well, that was me sober. Um, I was thinking about legs and how they support us and how my legs would just walk into a bakery without my permission. Um, I wanted to share about um, another mistake I made on my journey, which was all my strategies did fail. Um, I took the words I'm self-supporting through my own contributions, and I made it a lifestyle choice. Um, I kind of turned the program into a self-help and self-management. I knew, I know that we're talking about spiritual legs here, and it's a metaphor for powerlessness, but I've actually experienced physical misuse of my legs under the strain of illness, I couldn't use my legs and I found not being able to walk infuriating. I had to ask people to do things for me that were so humiliating and frustrating. And even when I had to go to hospital, someone had to literally pick me up and carry me from the door. I was without power. It's a really great image for me to see that I was completely without power. And whilst I was immobilized in that state, I learned a truth about my disease. It it wasn't actually me that was choosing to do these terrible things to myself. My twisted mind was telling me to do it. And I saw what was going on here. And I tried to seize the opportunity to fight back, but I still had no power. 
I wasn't done yet, though, because I'd been eight years in uh, OA at the time, and I had a telephone, and every day I would press redial, and a woman from OA would pick up the phone and say, Carol, OA loves you, and God loves you, and I love you. And until I could get back into the to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, she kept me alive. She kept me alive long enough for me to realize that I'd decided to stay in my deserted barn. I decided to stay in my deserted barn and die. I had... And that, I, and that was just be going to become a reality for me. And I only had one possible choice left, and that was to choose life. But I was so weakened, I couldn't even do that. So this paragraph for me is telling me that I have to make some kind of agreement with myself, that my power is never, ever going to be enough. And I can't wait around for science to figure me out. I'm going to have to just connect with this higher power somehow, some way. And even though I was unable to take one more physical step, I was ready to take 12 steps more and I did them willingly and no one twisted my arm. I had no other choice left because the only choice I had left was to take them. So I traded in my physical legs for spiritual ones. It's an amazing journey. I'm being transformed by this 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 book every single day, living it, living this spiritual journey. Uh, my mental twist is untwisting and I'm living a recovered life. Thank you and I pass. Thank you very much, Carol G. And we have time for one more before we Sally? end this. Sally. All right, bring us home, Sally. Oh, thank you. I was hoping there'd be time for me just to speak for one moment. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. And what I wanted to say was sort of in keeping with Carol was just saying, I, I think that the nurses who are listening will truly identify with this. And for those of you who have never worked with someone who's paralyzed, you should know that they are the most difficult patients for a nurse. I've spent years working on rehab floors and working in home settings with paralyzed patients. And what I have learned and I've heard from other nurses is how can you work with that guy? He is such a control freak. He is so difficult. He's so demanding. And the interesting thing about these people who are paralyzed, it's not that they are nasty or mean people. It's that their lives are out of control, like mine was out of control. And because my life was so out of control, my life was unmanageable and out of control. Consequently, I wanted to somehow feel secure within myself. I wanted to feel like there was some semblance of control. And that's what we've been talking about on page 30. So consequently, I tried to control everything and everybody around me so I could feel, feel that I was in control when I knew that I wasn't in control because like the man who's paralyzed and has lost his legs, these people are, are waiting for someone to help them. And that's why we are like the man who has lost his legs in so many ways. Thanks for letting me share that with that I pass. Thank you very much, Sally. Um, and I want to thank everybody who has shared in this first hour of our meeting. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we're now going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164. And um, Rachel N.M., please read our vision for you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rachel N.M. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader and anorexic from Ohio. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.